Welcome today to episode two of season two of the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We are so glad to have you join us for this vital conversation. Someone to Tell It To believes that everyone is a someone, someone who matters, someone who has a story to tell that can make a difference for the world to help make it more caring, more compassionate, more kind. Louis Laskowski was born and spent most of his life in small town Pennsylvania. His parents were divorced when he was a child, a time when his life truly began to have challenges. He essentially bounced around after graduating from high school, looking to find his intended path. He remembers that it wasn't smooth sailing, but those around him didn't give up on him. After graduating college, he started his career as a securities analyst and married his wife, Laura. Lewis later earned a master's degree in business education and taught for a very brief time at the high school level. And since then, he has had a career as a financial advisor and business analyst. He and Laura have a son, Lewis, and a daughter, Julia. After living for several years in Northern New Jersey, he and his family now live in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Today, Lewis shares his story publicly, a very powerful and painful one for the very first time. Lou, this morning you posted something very vulnerable mm-hmm. and very open about your life mm-hmm. on Facebook. Just a few moments ago, you looked on Facebook for the first time since you've posted it mm-hmm. and you saw some of the comments mm-hmm. that people had made and then mm-hmm. saw the people who have already read it and, and um, uh, you know, <coughs> made contact with it. When you saw those comments, you started to cry. Mm-hmm. Tell us why. Uh, I, I guess every time I've thought about this, it's been solitary. And living in solitary confinement with the pain and emotions brings you to cry. But when other people bring you out of that solitary environment, I guess you say, dealing alone, and offer love, support, it's freeing. And I always think back you know, to, to my circumstances. If this would have happened 40 years ago, when the abuse just started... Uh, you know, maybe I'd be further along, and, and after 40 years of dealing with it, just the feeling of freedom and knowing that people love and care about you, maybe the way uh, I wish it would have happened a long time ago. So it's a lot of build-up emotion. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So let's step back 40 years. <clears throat> would you mind telling us and everyone who's listening what happened? Yeah, I decided to do this now as opposed to 30 years from now so I could avoid dementia. (laughs) No, (laughs) not remember it. No. uh, uh, In September of 1979, my parents had divorced and I moved to Newtown Crossing, 172 Commonwealth Drive, white townhouse, uh, brown townhouse on the left, and a yellow one on the right, which is the one of significance. And... uh, now, a lot of the details are fuzzy. I've blocked out a lot. A lot of therapy where I try to recall things and go... It's been been tough for a while, um, to be honest. But uh, 
when we moved into the neighborhood, uh, we were one of the first to move into the development. And, uh, you know, and I won't use the individual's name, but someone moved in next door. And I don't remember how it all started, but the most vivid image I can give you, if you were sitting here looking at me, I'm a 45-year-old guy telling the story. But I think for people to understand the impact <clears throat> that it had on me is if they can visualize a five-year-old me or someone they know that's five-year-old, five years old, that vulnerability. I'd come out the front door, and this is the visual, uh, of that white townhouse. Walk about four steps up the sidewalk and make a left between the shrubs in front of the house and the tree on the right. And I climbed through the fence. There was two horizontal pieces I'd slip through. And then I'd go into the yellow house. And that's when everything changed. Can you tell us what changed? Uh, I guess if I put it in therapeutic terms, loss, loss of my innocence, confusion, sadness, anger. It was everything that a kid at five, year old, five years old is supposed to have just got turned upside down, I guess you could say. And these are not things that I've ever delved into to talk very deeply about what that looked like, so I've never considered that question. But to me, what changed probably the most in looking in hindsight, over the last 40 years, I've lost an extreme amount of opportunity to be uh, maybe the person I would want to be, live life like I see other people living it, and not have to deal with the baggage and pain that I've dealt with. So talk a little bit about how you got connected with someone to tell it to and the significance of our annual gathering, which you attended just two years ago. Well, before we can go to that significance, the significance of my brother-in-law and his wife's Oktoberfest about two, three years ago, we had the opportunity to meet Tom, you and I, and... uh, as we got to know each other, I guess, you know, we looked at it. I, I loved the mission because I think I love the mission you guys have simply because it's something I needed and I connected to. Mm. I call myself a serial helper, and sometimes I think being a serial helper is being a serial avoider of my own circumstances. So in the midst of getting to know you and then introduced to Michael is... At first, I saw it as an opportunity to help you guys. And what ended up happening is you guys ended up helping me. And I didn't realize maybe what was going on. But then uh, last year in attending the gala uh, in Boiling Springs, is I had the opportunity to hear Sterling speak. And I heard her story. And I could picture my own visual of my abuse and the impact and I could picture her and other gymnasts and the Me Too movement that started out of Dr. Larry Nasser. The one good thing he did was unite people on a horrible topic, which sounds really strange, but there's a lot of redemption for a lot of people because of it and because of someone like Sterling and that included me. Uh, as time went on, as you know, I was out of town for your gala this year, but as we've talked and time's gone on, it became pretty clear to me I wanted to tell my story. And every time I could tell my story, the weight got lighter and lighter. That post this morning, I got done and I hit post. 
I went out and Laura and I, my wife, I went out and I said, I just feel lighter. And, uh, you know, it was like in my shoulders, my necks, it was actually a physical sensation. So I knew that there's something to it. And my hope is, is that the way you guys help me, I can facilitate someone to help to, to help others, or my story resonates where it can be shared and it, it moves someone to action to help themselves or someone they care about. We often talk about how using the image of like a lake and skipping a stone out on a crystal clear lake has these ripple effects. And we think back to that annual gathering and even before the annual gathering, when a woman who was the first to speak out against Dr. Larry Nassar named Rachel Denhollander told her story. And then as a result, several women, other women came forward uh, Sterling Reithman being another one of them who came then to central Pennsylvania to tell her story and then you attending the annual gathering and you now wanting to tell your story. And again, just the ripple effects of us telling our stories. It's, it's a message of multiplicity of hope. Yeah. Sterling had her moment, that breakthrough that made her cry, maybe made her laugh, made her smile. And she got to release all of that emotion and I was sad, angry, that I haven't had my moment. And in that time, when I wrote to her, it was what, like, the message part of it was, is like, okay, everyone's got their platform, and, you know, you have your platform, but what about me? Like, who's going to help me? And it was, it's been evolutionary, and that's in no way to say anything negative about Sterling or, or, or the message, the movement of Me Too, it's got nothing to do with that. That was the that propelled me, because if you digest anger, in my opinion, you realize it's it's at its roots is sadness, and I've cried many times with my wife, myself, and I've never shared much of anything because I'm scared of what's there, mm-hmm. and I and I'm past that because I recognize by making yourself vulnerable, you have a chance to get better, and you have a chance to help other people. And then your prayer is that people don't judge you. They listen, they understand, and you help. So talk about the last two years and what it's been like since that night at the annual gathering. Uh, There's been ups and downs, but I'm sort of used to that over the last many years. Uh, I've been doing this, you know, my first uh, major issue with, you know, PTSD, mental health, was back when I was 26, so about 19 years ago. And over that 19 years, I've, I've learned a lot and I've suffered a lot. But it was slower because I, I didn't... If you could visualize an ocean where the current is fairly calm and there's gentle swells, it was slow. And over the last two years since then, I would say those currents, it's crashing waves as the storm's coming in. And you know, the storm's been, and I'm hoping this conversation is the beginning of the calm after the storm, <laughs> and we never have a storm again. But, uh, you know, over the last two years, that's, you know, one illustration of maybe what's been going on. But those waves represent maybe a rush of emotions I, I didn't know were there, or I knew were there, and I suppressed. I've had some great counselors to help me think about things differently. But ultimately, it drove me to share my story, because everyone always told me, you share your story, you know, your practice may go downhill. Or you share your story, you don't know the outcome. And 
but if I don't much share my story, I think at this point I knew the outcome. It was suicide. What do you do professionally, Lou, and, and how, to, how does this play out? Did, I'm still trying to figure daily. that out. <laughs> what do so, I do? No. Uh, on a daily basis, what does this look like? You know, that, that sort of evolved too, and that you see that I, I've like all of a sudden just smacked me in the face. There's like a correlation, I think. Pretty cool. But I'm a, I'm a financial advisor, planner by, I guess I'll call it trade. That's what I'm trained to do. I've been doing it almost 20 years. Uh, I've had some relative success. I really enjoy helping people. But recently, and it's funny because while we were, you know, taking a break from it, I was actually telling Michael that, uh, you know, maybe I'm more of a consultant now. And what I've, what I've learned is through compassionate listening, through active listening, you can learn a lot more about people. And when you stop to learn about people, you meet them where they're at, you ask questions, you listen, you validate how they feel and where they want to be. And it's as simple as how can I help? What does it look like for me to help? Under what circumstances would you allow me to give you a hand? Mm -hmm. If you ask those questions and you stop right there and make no mistake about it, advisors and consultants, they're in sales. And if you're going to sell something and do it right, it's really important you, you do it the right way by understanding what the goals are. Because a lot of people that go to maybe go to ask that question, how can I help? If they're not genuine, they're thinking of the question and we'll never ask it, how much money can I make perhaps? So as we were talking about that, I'm like, okay, well, I've become a consultant to a degree. And I have a saying, good people meet good people, they do good business. So amongst my contacts, if I run into someone and I think, man, they, they, they might be able to help this person. Or, hey, what would it look like to put them together? I make the introduction and try to back out. I just want to add value in business. And that translates the value I want to add right here, right now, moving forward, is hope. That if I reach one person and I strike a nerve, that they're willing to share my story by reposting whatever it looks like to reach out. Because there's that multiplicity of hope. Is social media, is, is it on steroids? Uh, by people reposting and sharing. So that that's a big ask of me today, of the people sitting back listening, is don't sit back, become active. What did you put out in on, on Facebook today? What what exactly did you say? <laughs> I think I'd read it, but I, I don't think we have more than three hours. Uh, <laughs> it actually started with my life group through church, which I haven't been going to uh, recently, but I wanted to share with them what I was about to do. I also shared with them, I reported my abuser to the uh, Child Abuse Services Hotline over the last two and a half weeks ago, I guess. Uh, It'll be three weeks this Thursday. So I was sharing that with them, and it morphed. Rather than just sharing it with ten people, it became something I elaborated on. And as I continued to write it, I changed the message. And the message went from giving them an update and asking for thoughts and prayers to saying, now's the time. Like, I'm going to put this out there on Facebook. So I posted it to this GroupMe app. And then I looked at Laura. She was doing her devotions. It's, you know, 5.45 in the morning. I had been up since 3 and uh, couldn't sleep well, I guess. Um, Then I said, should I do it? Do what? Put it on Facebook. And I had those pictures and the, the people telling me, resonating with me, don't do it, don't do it. 
And I figured, well, if I'm going to take the, the risk of being vulnerable, let's just get it over with. Let's just put myself out there and then let it up for other people to decide what they want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I posted to be very specific, and I think Tom's looking it up here maybe. He's going to read it for us. But uh, <clears throat> no, uh, it, I, I guess what I posted is that I was going to make, I was making a change in my life. And that change started with reporting the abuse is trying to get, I don't know if it's justice, but what really drove me is 32 years ago when this all stopped and came to an end, I don't know how many people this person has abused besides me. And it kills me and drives me up a wall that I can't bear to think about if she's hurt someone else and I don't do that. I don't take the blame for that, but I'll, 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 I'll put it out there now to stop the next victim from not having to be there. So if I stop one piss person from being victimized, I'm happy. That puts a smile on my face. My hope is it's hundreds, thousands, whatever it takes, but to make that impact. So from there, that was the motivation, I guess you could say. But just trying to be as authentic as possible uh, to share that story and to, to be to a degree descriptive about my emotions, my feelings, the depths of pain that I go to. On a day-to-day basis, when you walk down the street, the person you pass, you can't tell what they're going through. But we form judgments. Are they overweight? Well, yeah, I have trouble. I use eating as a, you know, a coping mechanism for God knows how many years, 30 plus years. So of course I'm overweight. But do you see me as fat or do you see me as someone that maybe has something going on in their world and that's their way of coping. Someone comes struggling, stumbling drunk out of a bar. You make a judgment. And I guess that the message I'd share right here right now is before you judge, ask and listen. And you never know where someone's at. You never know where they've been and where they want to go. And if you have a minute to help someone potentially, uh, the goal is, is every time before when I lay, someone lays their head down and they've met me, Right before they close their eyes, I want them saying, I'm glad I met Lou today. I'm glad I talked to him today. Hey, I'm glad he gave made me laugh today. I just want to add one thing to one person every single day that makes their life better because in turn it makes me feel good about what I'm trying to do. We wanted to read a couple statistics for you today, Lou, and then we want you to respond. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. One in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, use of victim services, contraction of sexually transmitted diseases, etc. When you hear that, what is that? What was the number? 10 million a day? Mm -hmm. So that means at the end of a year, 3.6 billion cases of abuse annually. It's a big number. So what it makes me think, oddly enough, is opportunity. Sitting here right now, if I stop, pause, and I pictured my circumstances or someone else's circumstances that are among those, to be anger, sadness, hopelessness, helplessness, 
all these negative things. And one thing I say to clients is if you continue to look in the rear, if you're driving down the road, you hit a pothole. You're going 80 miles an hour down Route 95 in Philadelphia. You hit, and there's a lot of potholes there. And you, <laughs> and you hit that pothole, your instinct is to look in the rearview mirror. Okay? With me? And when you look in the rearview mirror, you see the pothole. You have a choice. You can either get your eyes back on the road in front of you, or you can continue to be angry that you just maybe blew out a tire or something. But if you keep looking in the rearview mirror, let me ask you this. How likely are you to hit another pothole if you're not looking in front of you? So you have an opportunity not to hit a pothole. And this is an opportunity maybe for me to help others have hope to avoid that pothole of despair, if that makes some sense. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what that means to me is uh, you know, my, my hope, my prayer, people hear this and they say, man, you got to listen to this. And that 3.65 billion people that are affected or their family members that may suspect something's wrong. If I hit a nerve with someone that they suspect or they're going through and it moves them to action to help themselves and get help, that's what I want. Tom, uh, a few moments ago, asked, uh, talked about the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the ripple effect now, <clears throat> about the hope that you want to give, the hope that you you pray you will be giving to people who are also have had similar stories to mm-hmm. tell of varying degrees. How afraid were you before you told this, before you wrote what you wrote and posted it this morning? How afraid were you before this to be able to do that? To be able to speak out, to be vulnerable, to be open? I guess there's a level of concern, Michael, but... Uh... You know, afraid of what would be the first question. And, you know, as I look at and ask that afraid of what, you know, based on what the fear was, the fear of judgment. Well, if people are going to judge me, I don't want them in my life anyway if it's going to be negative. So that might be a good thing. If it's the the fear of how I may emotionally react in this moment, that's a big fear. But then what the heck? I'm making myself vulnerable. I cry, I cry, I curse, I curse. There's a lot built up here. Uh, But generally speaking, yes, it's driven by the particular emotion or thing I might be fearful of. Maybe not choosing the right words. Saying something that's not sensitive to someone on the other side of the podcast here uh, is a concern. It was, I guess it's gotten to a point where I'm doing this to free myself because I had someone say to me, well, what about your practice? And I won't say what I responded to distinctly because it's that curse point. But what I wrote back was basically saying it really doesn't matter to me. Not the people I work with, not that they don't matter because they do. And, but relationship matters, not money. Money is a resource, nothing more, nothing lots in my mind. And so my fear was mostly not about me, but something I would say would hurt someone more than help them because that's not what I want to do. That's not what I'm here to do. So, but has it taken a long time to get here? I can't do math real well right now, but 40 years since it started, 365 days, God knows how many minutes. So, so all of us have bad days um, at times. 
<clears throat> but, How's your day going today, yeah, Tom? It's a really good day. But uh, what does a bad day look like for you? You know, I, I've been diagnosed as uh, bipolar, having had depression, uh, issues, clinical depression that are, I guess, deemed pretty severe. And finally, someone came to me, uh, Dr. Larton, and she said, Lou, people that have gone through what you go through, it's called PTSD. And your depression that you deal with, those emotions, it's got to do with PTSD, the trauma, the stress create the disorder. So am I mentally ill? No, I got baggage. And uh, sometimes that baggage gets to me. When you have post-traumatic stress, everyone thinks maybe of a military veteran sitting in the back corner of a restaurant with their back to the wall so they can see everything. And when something triggers them, they go into maybe an anxiety attack, a panic attack. It stirs up a lot of, call them scary emotions. <clears throat> you know, that takes them back to, you know, Iraq, like Afghanistan, wherever, to a traumatic moment. And every day I wake up, I relive it. I don't relive the event. I relive the emotion of not being able to get out of bed. I put my two feet on the floor. That's a commitment to get through the day. And that's a big step for me every day. If I can get my two feet on the floor and push forward, maybe I can make it. On my worst days, I lay in bed, uh, to be frank with you, and this is a big, I've written a text explaining, like apologizing to people that I could no longer do it and telling, uh, my son, daughter, wife. how much I love them, but that I could go on. And I hope in doing that, I don't have the nerve to do it. I'm not, maybe I'm not strong enough or stupid enough. I don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, when you visualize those things and actually doing that, committing suicide, and you start writing, they say, hey, the propensity's up. Maybe that writing for me was a recognition of where I was at and how much help I needed. Uh, that's my worst day. As your family, your wife, your son, and your daughter listen to this, this recording, will this be the, f the first time they've heard this? Times have been real difficult. <laughs> at times when you just lay in bed for a week or two at a time and you come down to eat and you're irritable, and then you just go right back to bed. People wonder what's up. And my son's one of those. And uh, I feel horribly. I feel horribly what he's had to go through. So I've shared with him somewhat what's happened. And for a 15-year-old, it's got to be so confusing. But I'd rather him know the truth and not be confused about why uh, I'd rather have him know the why mm -hmm. and give him scary stuff and manage that than him think and interact with me because he doesn't love me and my wife yeah, she's known this for a long time uh, 
we can only imagine. Just talk about that. How mm. proud mm. they might be to see you being so open and so vulnerable and telling the truth of what's going on inside and how you've been feeling. Um, because we can only imagine, too, that it will help them to even love you more. Uh, possibly, yeah, I, I could see that. I don't, when I hear proud, I hear pride. And this is not a prideful moment for me. It's not about me. I'm not worried if someone's proud of me so much. I appreciate you saying that. And you guys each sent messages to me when I shared with you this morning in my post that you were proud of me. And I appreciate that. But that says I'm prideful and I need to hear that someone's proud. And I don't. What I really want to hear is one person say, you saved my life. And after that. Well, we are sadly sometimes not in the business of producing outcomes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We wish you could produce those kind of outcomes for you, but we we will trust that. Well, the outcomes are pretty simple, Tom. I just say, you know, before I go into anything, I guess this is the virtue of being a planner, is I think about what may happen so I can adapt and get my message across. And today it's authenticity. Mm-hmm. And it, this is not about my abuse at all. I call that the cause of the tears and the pain and the anger. All these things happen. They evoke the same thing, pain. And as a culture and a society, rather than saying what caused the pain and focusing efforts there, what if there was just a recognition that everyone's got baggage and some pain to different varying degrees? And we actually focused on what does it look like to unite around that and similarities? Mm-hmm. Because when you look at what the cause is, it's different. And when we look about differences, we build walls. When we look at differences, we come up with reasons not to share or be closer. Whether that's race, religion, gender, Everyone just wants what's right and fair in their mind. And if you look at what the implication is of any trauma, that's what I want to help. So whether it's a veteran, whether it's a rape victim, child sexual abuse, someone of a, a you know significant uh, circumstances of racism where power was used over them because of the color of their skin, whether it's, you know, children being separated from their parents at the border, and the trauma that's going to cause, whoever it is, wherever they're at, wherever you're at, is someone can meet you where you're at and just find out what you have in common because you never know what that leads to. An author named Robert Jordan once wrote, A secret spoken finds wings. I am getting on a plane on Thursday, so maybe they're my wings. (laughs) What do you hope to see happen? One, people listen, and maybe they do judge me, but how they're judging me and what they conclude is more important, maybe. I want them to to hear me uh, and see me as authentic. Uh, I clearly recognize after hearing this, I could probably put anything out there and they would believe it because here I am being this vulnerable. 
but I want them to see me as authentic and just wanting to help, A. B, that I move people to action, to share, to go get help. It doesn't matter to me because no one listening to this may need my help, okay, or your help. Possibly do because they're listening to it, so... I just want to help. I want to add value in everything that I do is find a way to add value. Make that person smile when maybe they wouldn't smile. Make that person cry to get it out when they've never had that opportunity. And pick up the phone. Realize what an organization like someone to tell it to does for people. Compassionate listening. I remember hearing that for the first time. I'm like, what's that? And I didn't know, but I get it now. You guys give the opportunity, someone to tell it to gives the opportunity for someone like myself or someone sitting there listening to this, a chance to talk to someone without judgment, no fear, as you can just let it go. And yeah, you get wings. And yeah, you're a plane, an angel, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that's a true statement with that author wrote that you just read. And I, I think it's important to recognize with someone to tell it to or any organization like that, you get tons of calls on what charities to support. What someone to tell it to has done for me is really simple. It's allowed me to share my story and become free so I can do anything I want in my life. That's my hope for myself. So you can find a cure for cancer with the American Cancer Society. I'm not saying all the charities aren't worthy but what someone to tell it to does is brings all of those organizations organizations excuse me together because they're not focused on so much as the cause they'll listen to the cause they'll understand they'll empathize sympathize but when you walk away you understand that the pain you have you're not the only one with it and that's a shared characteristic regardless of color gender race all those other things i said no matter What matters is we're all humans, and we're all the same. We all bleed the same. We all cry the same. And uh, I urge people, you know, that, that hear this maybe beyond the podcast, let's check it out. Absolutely, you're, you're, you are speaking our message. Because the the whole point in doing this is to remind one another, everyone who's listening, um, that they're not alone. That they're not alone. That whatever the trauma is, whatever the brokenness is, whatever the insecurity is, whatever the hurt is or the loss, that others have felt similarly Mm -hmm. to. And when we know we're not alone, it does give us wings. It does. To be and able to begin from f- being a position of being exploited. That's right. And you give people the opportunity to be empowered just by sharing. Absolutely. Their story. And one other thing, I'm a, what I would call a why guy. So when I see someone, I meet someone, I want to under, and, and they seem like they're in difficult circumstances or something's not quite right. I want to know why. How, what does it look like to help? Why are they like that? And then when someone shares their story, then I become maybe a why not guy is, oh, I can do this, this, and this. You know, I can't do this, this, and this. Excuse me, why not? What's possible? If I have the courage and I, I muster up the strength to share this, 
why not? Mm-hmm. What's possible? You tell me. And one thing I say is, like I mentioned with the, the Me Too movement uh, with me, is what about me? And if that, that's what comes to anyone's minds that hear this message, what about me? Here's your opportunity to answer that question. You have someone to tell it to, and uh, organizations like it that deliver hope. And I think the only thing I don't like about hope is there's false hope. When you get so close to the goal, and you get so close to being healed, and you reach out and you don't hear back, and I've had it happen multiple times. Johns Hopkins University is, I reached out to one of their divisions, I guess you would call it their departments, twice and never heard back after they wrote a big elaborate article, uh, a bunch of PhDs telling me how much hope there was for me to reach out and not hear a word back. It's crushing. So as people sit there and listen, and if they look me up and they reach out to me, I would get back. I would try my best, but it might not be perfect. But I realize false hope crushes real hope. But your organization someone to tell it to is real hope so congratulations to you guys doing your thing before we got on air here today lou you had talked about what you'd like to do on the especially bad days mm-hmm. to give yourself some sense of hope to get out of bed mm-hmm. trying to day. think of what that was but well you had talked about sharing your story um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, re- reposting and people reposting for me yes. and with me, mm-hmm. and I like that's just it. I just said for me, nah, it's not about me. It's you know one of the things I wrote in Facebook on that post. And I'm glad you asked that because it just spurred me to think of this. So Tom thought maybe there would be a distraction with the church bells in the background. I thought it was divine intervention there for a minute. <laughs> that everyone's going to hear my message, but. uh what I, what I wrote at the end is, I'm willing to help lead the charge against the implications of trauma. Keyword, help. It's partnership. But I want to be a part of an army. We need people sharing messages like mine and hope. Messages of hope. The story doesn't matter as much if it doesn't drive someone to action or realize they matter. I want to be part of something bigger than myself. Then I run on the right. It's time to wind down with a simple question or two. Will you do me this favor? Meaning reshare, and that's what I'm asking now. What about me? You matter. And it's time to share. Third question. Are you willing to step to the plate and help a group like someone to tell it to, a charitable organization that provides hope in this message? If I've hit a nerve in you that you want to reshare, then I should have hit a nerve in you asking, how can I help? And that's up to you. Lou, it's been a joy to have you on the program. It's been a joy (laughs) just getting to know you. Yeah. Yeah. You've gained some new wings today. (laughs) And you have also, I think we believe, you've given wings to many other people as well. Mm -hmm. And you may never know, you may never know how many. And that's, in some ways, that's the beauty of it. You, by telling your story in this way, <clears throat> we believe that you will be touching more lives than you can imagine. That's our hope. That's our prayer. Michael, I got to tell you, 
earlier on, I think I said 3.65 billion. So if we get that far, <laughs> that's the goal. Okay. That's a lot of lives. That's a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> but I, like I said, that I hope I just reach one. So there's a lot of latitude between one and 3.6 <laughs> yes, billion. <laughs> we, we have no doubt you are a success already. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys giving me the the opportunity, the platform. I have 185 friends on Facebook, so I don't exactly uh, have a lot of people to start reposting. But multiplicity, skipping stones across the water, the ripples, That's right. it, it all all works on itself. And, uh, you know, I, I funny enough, here I am telling people to have hope, but this conversation provides me hope. So now you had asked the question, Tom, what does a bad day look like? So now I want you to, to envision this. There I am afraid to put my feet on the floor. How do I refocus? And I can refocus by playing this, mm. by listening to me say the following, is if I think for a moment what my story can do to impact others, that's all the motivation I need. Because I was going to reframe the question to end today, what's a good day look like? <laughs> today. And we hope, right here, we right hope now. this is one day. of them. Well, it's, really it's, the, it, it, it's the beginning, but a good day, if you would have said to me and asked, what does a good day look like two years ago, three years ago? Unfortunately, I would say is despair, sadness was my baseline, and at times things went well. But I'd often question, am I being real to myself? Like, I have to deal with this. And am I just faking being happy or am I really having a good time? I had no idea. But if you ask the question, what does a good look, day look like today? Moving forward, a good day looks like today. A good day is making more than one person be thankful they encountered me. Uh, you know, I hope it's 3.65 billion people mm-hmm. that are lay their head on the pillow at night and say, man, I'm glad I listened to this podcast. So the challenge for both of you, the challenge for anyone in my network that I know, and I know people with millions of followers, I'm asking you, I'm not going to throw a guilt trip and say, I bet you won't even share. That makes me not want to share, so because I feel manipulated. <laughs> Am I right? We agree. We actually agree. We so do. I'm just going to be straight up, and I'm going to have two ass. Support this group and share my message. Help me get to 3.65 billion. That's my goal, and I hope it's everyone else is on this. And that's the challenge. Lou, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Gosh, we are so grateful that you joined us today for this conversation. We hope it's made a difference for you. Maybe you feel a little brighter, maybe a little more hopeful, maybe a little more likely to listen more intentionally and to appreciate each other's differences and celebrate what we all have in common. If you value these conversations, we hope you'll support our efforts to continue to produce them. So please go to someonetotelitu.org or to patreon.com to donate. Thank you so much until we listen again.